In this episode of Scaling Postgres, we talk about recovery time, lost data, production ready, and Postgres 16 highlights. I'm Creston Jameson, and this is Scaling Postgres, episode 259. All right. I hope you, your friends, family, and coworkers continue to do well. As a reminder, this show is going to be a little bit shorter than probably normal because we're only covering about five days worth of content, but we'll pick up and do seven days in the next week just because how I shifted the recordings. But our first piece of content is a little more on max wall size. This is from thebuild.com, and this is a follow-up post where he was talking about max wall size, and this one is addressing a question that a commenter had about isn't it a risk to have max wall size too big because it increases the recovery time? Because if your recovery time is based upon when the last checkpoint happened, and all the wall that's been generated since that last checkpoint needs to be reapplied to the database files before the database can be functional. And his recommendation, which is definitely typical, is to set that max wall size such that that's not the limit that gets hit when it does a checkpoint. You want the checkpoint timeout setting to be when checkpoints occur. But depending on how much wall you're generating, that could have a very large max wall size and increase your recovery time. So for example, I had a client that had a lot of wall activity, a lot of full page image writes were happening, so much so the wall records being generated were many times the actual size of the database every day. And to get an acceptable performance, we had increased the checkpoint timeout to 25 minutes. But of course, that's a downside because if that system crashes, you now have potentially 25 minutes of downtime or however long it takes for those wall records to be applied before the database can be brought up. So it is definitely a downside to have a large max wall size, and you'll have to take that into consideration. So as he says here, quote, if crash recovery speed is a concern, it might make sense not to go crazy with max wall size and cap it at a lower level. But that means you're going to be checkpointing more often, of course. But if you want to learn more about it, definitely check out this blog post. Next piece of content, did Postgres lose my data? This is from ardentperf.com. And this post, as you can see under filed under, is talking about collations, corruption, the database, the glibc, ICU. So this is all about collations and potentially corrupted data. But this is a pretend scenario where Jeremy picked a specific language that had a collation change. So basically he set up an EC2 instance with Postgres 15 and he used ICU collations. So he's not using the glibc versions, but he's using the ICU collations. Sets up his table with some data, and then he says, hey, I want to add a replica. So he adds a hot standby and starts replicating the data, but then he discovers there's no records in that hot standby. So what happened? Well, basically what happened is that the primary server is on Ubuntu 20.04. The replica was on 22.04. So it was a different version of the operating system. So the Postgres versions were the same, but not the operating system. And what that generally means is there's going to be different library versions. Like, for example, the glibc library may have changed. But in this case, it looks like the ICU collations that he was using has changed. And if you look in the Postgres logs, it says, warning, database research text has a collation version mismatch. And this shows the collation version for the database and then what the operating system is at. So as you can see, it's quite different here. Now, as a consequence, 
when you try to query at this, the data is not going to be there. Unique indexes aren't going to be maintained as being unique. You could have data disappearing. And this is all from collation changes. So what you want to do is keep those versions consistent. So make sure your replica is the same version as the primary. And this even follows through to upgrades. When you're upgrading, you should keep those versions consistent. Now it's not necessarily operating system version that needs to be consistent, but it's whatever you're using for collations. So maybe you want to keep your glibc at a specific version. And we'll look at another post in a second where you'll see someone doing that. Or maybe you keep your ICU collation versions consistent. And if you don't plan to do that, you're doing an upgrade. Basically, you need to re-index every index. But one interesting thing he did is offer a library for looking at version changes between glibc versions and ICU versions for collations to see how many changes have been made across them. So this looks like a super interesting resource if you want to check what has potentially changed between different versions. But if you want more information about this, this is also the episode of 5 Minutes of Postgres that PG Analyze did called Collations in Postgres. So he covers this issue as well as discusses some other resources to consider, including talking about how RDS actually maintains a specific glibc version for all of their versions of Postgres so that they can avoid this collation problem when you're migrating from different versions. But if you want to learn more about that, you can definitely check out these two pieces of content. Next piece of content, is your Postgres ready for production? This is from crunchydata.com. They're talking about some checklists you should have before you get ready to put your database into production. The number one thing to have, of course, is backups. And I would also add doing a test restore of those backups because you want to make sure your data comes back. That's the purpose of the backup. And they cover different ways you can do the backups. The next area to consider is high availability. So if your database system goes down, what are you going to do? You can restore from the backup, but generally that takes a while. Like he says here, quote, a rule of thumb is you should plan for one hour of downtime per 200 gigabyte of database size. But the way to avoid that is to have a streaming replica. So this is a physical streaming replica of your data. And then if your primary machine should have a malfunction, you simply promote that replica to be the new primary. So he talks about that. He talks about the importance of logging, especially logging slow queries, and then being able to also look at the explain plan of them because you want to understand what queries are running in the system. I would also advocate using PG stat statements and turning that on because that gives you great insight into what queries are running. And he also recommends potentially using PG audit if you need to audit certain queries as well. Other thing he mentions is protecting your database by using statement timeout. Now, my recommendation for this is generally don't apply it globally, but apply it per user that's connecting. Because when it's global, a lot of times if you're doing DBA duties with the Postgres user, things timeout when it's not expected. So generally, I like to set the statement timeout per user that's connecting to the database or per role that you have users that are members of that connect to the database. And lastly, covers connection pooling. Now, I don't think you need this to go live, but as your application gains more users, you will usually see a benefit of adding connection pooling at some point. But if you want to learn more, you can check out this blog post. Next piece of content, Postgres 16 highlight, file inclusions in pghba.conf and pgident.conf. This is from pakier.xyz. 
And I really like this enhancement because this is similar to what exists for postgresql.conf. And generally, I don't touch that file. I store all my configuration in the conf.d directory when I do my configuration because it's just easier to do that with Ansible. Well, I like the ability to not have to individually change these two files, but have a file located somewhere and just have a include statement to be able to include that configuration as a part of those files. But if you want to learn more about this enhancement coming in Postgres 16, you can check out this blog post. Next piece of content, PostgreSQL 16, generic plan option for explain and shell exit codes for PSQL. This is from dbi-services.com. And they're talking about two enhancements. One is the ability to look immediately at a generic plan when using explain. So usually for generic plans, you have to do what he describes here, is that you need to first create a prepared statement and execute that six times, because otherwise you're going to get the custom plan. And then the final time you'll run it, you'll get the generic plan, or you switched the plan cache mode to force generic plan. But with this new enhancement, all you have to do is run the explain plan with generic plan true, and it gives you what the generic plan is. So that's great. The next feature is to PSQL to actually get the exit codes of operating system commands you run within PSQL. So he shows an example here, and you can actually output it with shell error or the shell exit code to get what the results are. So two great enhancements coming to Postgres 16. Next piece of content, new old debug parallel query setting in PostgreSQL 16. This is from cybertech-postgresql.com. And he's talking about a change in a runtime option is going from force parallel mode to debug parallel query. See, that seems odd. Well, apparently, force parallel mode is, he says here, quote, meant to be used to allow us to exercise the parallel query infrastructure to ensure it's working as we expect. But people are interpreting this as turning all the parallel features on on Postgres, which clearly that's not what it does. So they're renaming this option to be debug parallel query, which is a much better description of what the feature does. So if you want to learn more about that, you can check out this blog post. Next piece of content, using Postgres foreign data wrapper parameter name for advanced monitoring with multiple PostgreSQL servers. This is from postgresql.fastware.com. And there's an enhancement for Postgres foreign data wrappers. And when you're using the Postgres foreign data wrapper to speak to a foreign Postgres server, you can now set the application name that that foreign server sees. So before, all it said was Postgres FDW, as you can see here, in terms of the application name. Well, now you can actually give it a custom name and use these escape characters to help build that application name. So for example, you can include the application name on the local server, what the session ID, what the cluster name is. So he has an example here where he's setting this Postgres foreign data wrapper application name to from the cluster name where the username equals whatever the username is. And then when you run it, you could see what server is connecting using the foreign data wrapper. And you can see this connection is coming from the analyzer server with a particular user and another user on the same server is connecting as well. So it gives you more information about the connections that are connecting to the foreign server. And if you want to learn more about that, definitely check out this blog post. Next piece of content, the cognitive load of licensing. This is from softwareandbooze.com. And he's talking about one of the advantages of Postgres, of course, is that it's open source. But another big thing to consider is that because of that, you don't have to 
have discussions on licensing and what you can and cannot do with it. So for example, he says here, quote, I can't tell you how often I used to sit in planning meetings with questions like these. Can we do online concurrent index builds? Why isn't the server using all the memory? Can we have a read-only warm standby? And questions such as these, and he says the answer often was, quote, our current license doesn't support that. So you don't have to think about things like that with Postgres, you can use all the features. Unfortunately, the answer may then become, well, our current version doesn't support that, which means you do have to keep up with upgrades if you want all the newest and latest features. But definitely an interesting perspective, and if you want to learn more, you can check out this blog post. Next piece of content, the Postgres Girl Person of the Week is Chris Ellis. If you want to learn more about Chris and his contributions to Postgres, definitely check out this blog post. And the last piece of content, we did have another episode of the Rubber Duck Dev Show this past Thursday afternoon. This one was with Chris Oliver and talking about hosting after Heroku. So after Heroku got rid of all of their free hosting plans and went to only paid ones, we discussed with Chris what the landscape looks like in terms of looking to host your web applications. So if that content is of interest to you, we welcome you to check out our show. That does it for this episode of Scaling Postgres. You can get links to all the content mentioned in the show notes. Be sure to head over to scalingpostgres.com where you can sign up to receive weekly notifications of each episode. Or you can subscribe via YouTube or iTunes. Thanks.